0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Extra Point Podcast. My name is Todd Stiles. I'm one of the pastors here at First Family Church. Really glad you joined us today on January the 17th, 2023. And uh, the Extra Point Podcast, of course, as we say every time, is an opportunity to get some extra insight, some deeper application, some further observation regarding the text from which we preached last week. And of course, last week, uh, we looked at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. It's one of the longest portions regarding the two offices of the church, which are elder and deacon. And we talked about those uh, from a pretty high-level uh, perspective. And, of course, that uh, led to a lot of questions, which was very good. We took some questions live in the service. I want to take the rest of the questions we didn't get to and answer them on this episode of the Extra Point podcast. So, here we go. Question number one Is there an age limit on the children mentioned in this chapter? And what the question's asking is when it refers to that an elder and a deacon must have a home uh, where the children are um, um, respectful or they're, uh, he's managing his home competently with children in a dignified manner. I think they're asking, you know, is this applicable to kids maybe? that are out of the house. Is this only to kids who are under the parents' authority? Is there an age limit? And there's another question that comes later about kids who are on their own later, but who have turned from the faith or who aren't living for the Lord. They're living in disobedience to the Bible. Would that apply to a man who is an elder, who wants to be an elder? So let me just address that. I don't think that there is an age limit specifically mentioned in the Bible. However, I do think the implicit understanding is that it's children within the home of this elder under his authority. So that would lead me to say that if a child has moved out of the home, they're an adult, and they may not be living for the Lord, they may be living in disobedience, even maybe not even a Christian, I don't think a child outside of the home as an adult would apply to an elder who wants to be, um, who is an elder in that church, so I think the age limit in the chapter is implicit that it's uh, the child who is under the authority and in the home of that elder. Question number two: Do deacons and or elders reach out to the sick? Is that one of their duties? And I would say that. Based on James chapter 5, yes, the elders have the privilege of praying for the sick, especially that they would receive healing. Um, now, in James 5, of course, we know that this is by request of the um, member or the one who is sick, and in all frankness, the, the overall sense and tone of that text is that there may be sin involved, which is why they are sick because as the text unfolds in James 5, um, there is the sense of after there's been confession, then there's healing. And so the sense of the text is, yes, elders do pray for the sick, especially when the sickness is due to sin. So just keep that in mind. I think the answer to the question is, yes, the elders should reach out to the sick, um, and especially when the sickness may be a result of sin. I don't know if that's the elders who shouldn't proactively reach out and suggest that, okay, that could be a little odd and awkward. Um, or if it's the elders are waiting for that one to request that, that seems to be the hint of James 5. However, just in general shepherding, there is a sense of caring for people, of caring for the flock, of looking after the sheep. And that definitely includes, and, um, um, you know, Part of that is just being aware and and having good systems in place for uh, caring for people when they're sick. I think an area of freedom here is how this gets done. And so there are multiple ways to make sure that there is adequate care for people when they're sick. Uh, Just like the Bible speaks of um, the church caring for widows— Uh, It doesn't necessarily give a specific system. It just simply says, here's um, what needs to happen. And so it may be through small groups. It may be through a caring team. It could be through a set of pastors or a specific pastor uh, whose focus is that. So just be aware there's various ways to see that this happens. But yes, I would say that elders and deacons um, should at least lead the way in making sure that a church has the proper systems and and um, mechanisms in place so that uh, either sick people are cared for, uh, they can be prayed for, especially if sin is involved and maybe the cause of the sickness, or they, and that widows are cared for as well. Question number three, how do we test deacons? He's referring there to the phrase that says, once they are tested and proved blameless, then uh, let them serve, and serve. There, of course, is a summary word for really the the role of a deacon, and I think the best answer to the question, "How do we test deacons?" is uh, over time. Uh, it may be that um, there are various uh, jobs and tasks. Much like in Act six, there were logistical issues to address. Uh, there were conflicts to settle. There was unity to maintain. So perhaps we give these kind of roles and responsibilities, even tasks or situational assignments to men um, who fit the character qualifications, and as they are tested or discerned or proven to be genuine, legitimate, like they really are who they say they are, they can do what they say they can do, uh, then we just continue to let them serve as a deacon. One other reminder here is the word test there means to Uh, prove and discern if the item in play is legitimate. It's often used of deciphering if a coin is the real deal or is it counterfeit. And so I think that's behind the word test is we're watching a man over time to see if his faith, his conduct, his lifestyle, his actions are matching what he says. And in all frankness, that can only happen over a period of time. So while there may be various tasks or responsibilities, I would say the best answer to the question from my perspective, the question being how do we test deacons, is over time. Question four, it's quite interesting. This person asks, how do you deal with non-Christians looking at these people? And I think he's speaking of their speaking there of elders and deacons. How do you deal with non-Christians looking at these people like they think they are better than everyone else? It's a really good question. Um, It kind of gets below the surface in some areas, and I think the real key answer here would be that these people, uh, that's the phrase he uses, they've just got to really pursue humility, and they've got to have an attitude of deference. They've got to have the lifestyle of a servant. Um, They can't be lording position over people, but instead serving others, being very humble, and always giving credit... Uh, to God, first of all, but also to others who actually are getting the work done and being involved in the, uh, you know, the actions of the church. For no one person can do it all. There may be some leaders and mobilizers, those who activate others who point the way, who can uh, make sure that the tasks are done by others. And I think that person has to be willing always to be quick to give credit, um, stay humble, acknowledge others and serve them. So that's just some of the ways that we can make sure that um, others who are not a Christian don't look at them as better. However, I I do think there's probably some legitimacy to what this person's asking, that it can sometimes appear that you think you're better than other people, and uh, though you don't think that, and though that isn't true, sometimes that is the price of leadership, is that You have to get out front and you have to call for action. You have to model what you're after. And sometimes you get misinterpreted. And when that happens, um, try to have uh, thick skin and a big smile. And the hard reality is misinterpretation is the landscape of leadership. It may not happen much. It it, um, doesn't make it easy. But if you don't want to be misinterpreted, please don't get into leadership because it will happen. And just try to stave it off best you can through humility, uh, servanthood, and be quick to credit others um, and accept responsibility. Those are ways you can help stave off what is at times inevitable, and that would be misinterpretation. Thankfully, the Lord knows our heart, and we live under His eye, and we try to live with a clear conscience and then endure those moments when perhaps there is exactly that misinterpretation. Next question is this: How do deacons and elders within our church stay accountable to these character traits? A really good question. I would say there are two primary ways, um, and I would say these are formal ways. Uh, there is weekly accountability to one another. Our elders have a lead. Um, um, our elders have a weekly meeting in which we gather together for prayer and Bible study, uh, and within that time together, there is always a weekly. And I would say it's a uh, an accountability factor. It may not be formalized, but it is always present and there. And And so in our prayer and study, we ask each other questions, and uh, there is a known accountability to one another within the elders on a weekly basis. There's also uh, an accountability to the church twice a year. We introduce our elders to the church formally twice a year, and we say even in that time that we're accountable to you every week of the year, but on these uh, two opportunities, we want you to see the elders, we want to introduce ourselves to you, be available to you, and commit to serving you and, and the Lord's purposes in this church. And so in that way, we come to you and uh, uh, saying, we are accountable to you. So look at us, watch us, and then talk to us if you see things that are not in keeping with the Word of God. So those are two formal ways. Same thing is true with our deacons. They have regular meetings. R.J.'s our lead deacon. He answers and meets with the elders as well. And so there's some accountability within that team, and they also are introduced twice a year. And the informal way is just that uh, there is a culture at First Family that uh, plurality matters. And so though there are those with greater influence, there isn't an elder with greater authority. There's not a deacon with greater authority. There is a plurality in play, and I think that's Uh, Just embedded into our culture. And so, our congregation, even our elders and deacons, our staff, they know that. And they can go to any of our elders at any time and maybe express a concern. Um, I would advise our congregation to be aware of what the scriptures say, though. If you sense that there is a character flaw in an elder, um, go to them personally first. If, let's say, that doesn't go well, or For some reason, that can't happen. The Bible does say that you can't receive a charge against an elder except in the presence of two or three witnesses. So I wouldn't go to an elder or someone else alone. I would take someone with you to make sure there's good accountability in your questions and conversation. And here's the next question. Is the fall in judgment in verse 6 pointed out because the fall of an elder may cause the fall of others who are under that elder's leadership. Um, I think the gravity of the situation is pointed out in the text uh, because, first of all, James also echoes that those who teach are under a a more strict judgment. It has the same weight here in this chapter, that we should be careful uh, how quickly we appoint someone, how... uh, quickly someone serves in these roles, because there is a gravity to that influence, to their authority, and if they're not ready for it, then they could lead wrongly, and that affects others. I don't know if I would agree that the fall of an elder would cause the fall of others. I would say perhaps the sin or the fall of an elder would contribute, perhaps, to the fall of others. And, you know, every man must bear his own burden, um, and so I just would Encourage you. This passage about the fall in judgment pointed out, and the um, exhortation not to, uh, you know, install a man into these roles too quickly, is because there's gravity and severity, uh, and there, there's a, a heightened awareness that these positions, these roles, these uh, places of leadership, these offices, they have a lot of influence, and so we want to use that correctly, biblically, humbly. And so make sure the right men get in those roles. Uh, those offices used wrongly no doubt could contribute to the fall of others and to the harm of others, and that's the last thing any of us would want. So I think he's pointing that out in the text, yes, for sure, much like he does in the book of James. Just two more questions to go. Here's the next-to-last one. Can a woman be an elder? And we believe that the Bible lays out in First Timothy chapter 2, Uh, That the office of elder is reserved for qualified men. Uh, That's who the Lord instructs to teach and have authority. And so that's how we see those scriptures. And so, no, a woman we believe can't be an elder in that way. Uh, Some have asked, can a woman be a deacon? And you know, opinions on that are split. I don't see a biblical restriction on it or a mandate for it. I think there's people who who can differ on that and. Um, that can be a disagreeable item. But here's the difference between the two. A woman can't be an elder because it would be an authoritative teaching position in the church, and the Bible prohibits that for women, but there is no such language regarding uh, a deacon's role. And so those who feel the women can be deacons, sure, uh, it doesn't violate any authoritative teaching role in the church, but that's why women can't be elders or pastors because of that uh, section in 1 Timothy 2, and that's where First Timothy lands. The last question kind of goes in line with that. Uh, this person asks that, is the word wives in 1 Timothy 3.11, is it speaking of the wives of deacons or women who are deacons? And uh, I think there's various translations on that. There's probably various opinions on that. I see it as uh, the wives of deacons, much like I see Romans 16 talking about Phoebe as a character trait in her life, not an office in her life. Uh, Good people disagree on this. I'm friends with them. They're friends with me. It's not something I'm going to argue about. Uh, I do believe that it's speaking there, though, in 1 Timothy, of the wives of deacons, not of women who are deacons. And as a P.S., let me just add one more question And I think you'll like the answer to it. The answer up front is, I don't know, all right? Uh, In light of that, let me give you the question and a little bit of background, and then you'll see why I'll say, I don't know. The question is this, um, why does the text in 1 Timothy 3, 1 about overseers say they must be, and those two words are in quotes, but when it talks about deacons in verse 8, it says, should be and he's speaking here of the text of the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, or the HCSB, the earlier version of that. He wants to know why the word is uh, must be for elders and why it should be for deacons. Well, that's why I give the answer, I don't know why the CSB does that, okay? (laughs) In all frankness, I don't know. I can give you a little uh, nerdy grammatical background to those two verses, The word must is in verse 1 in in the Greek translation, uh, and so it's clearly there. In verse 8, the word is not there. I think it's implied and assumed in the word likewise. In other words, just as elders must be, and then it lists the traits. Then when Paul says likewise, he's saying deacons must be these things as well, and he lists them out. So I don't know why the CSB goes with should instead of must. I know that in most other translations, it stays with the uh, word must. One of them says uh, the deacons are to be, keeping the present infinitive in play. But either way, most translations continue with the word must, which is, I think, Paul's intent in the word likewise. Why the CSB? differs here and uses must in verse 1 and the word should in verse 8, I don't know. If you find the answer, text me, call me, email me. I'd love to know what you think as well. Well, thanks for joining me today on this Q&A episode of the Extra Point Podcast. Hope it's been helpful and informative, and I'll see you this weekend at First Family Church.